right? Think about it. You got a builder. If I solicit you to, you know, I commission you, you know, to build a house for me and you're working, 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 working. Believe in me. Vote for me. Actually, you know what? You have the power to choose the builders. You have to choose whatever and they will be your representative. The neighborhood will elect the interior designer who will choose the car and everything else. And this is a system. It's not perfect. But we'll work through this system. And actually, you can even be elected to, you know, to do the plumbing. And we can all participate. And then you realize, after 20 years, this house still isn't built. And then another 10 years passes. And there's a minor wind. And the whole thing just falls apart. <laughs> and we are not asking ourselves the crucial question is, what are we actually doing because we're not doing what we thought we were doing and we're not doing what we think we're doing. <laughs> something else is happening and I don't know, I can't answer more than anyone else if that something else is a single individual or a collective sort of body. But in a way, I see the affirmative part of machine learning in this sense because I think at the same time that it's enacting these types of violences is also illuminating the cracks within all of these sensors is illuminating the logics within all of this. So if we go back to the example of Michigan with the, you know, with the benefits, so one strain of thought, which is perfectly important, is why would you deploy this algorithm to deny 84% of your participants, falsely deny them benefits? But are we asking ourselves that actually, wait a minute, if we didn't have machine learning, how many of these people were actually being denied in the old process and having to prove themselves in front of an old committee? having to show viability, having to show all of these things. But we don't have the data for that. So that data is already proprietary, right? The black box existed well before machine learning came. Go to any city you live in right now and ask them how many people they have falsely denied benefits and see how far you get. <laughs> or ask them how many, go to a police agency and say, okay, how many people in the last 10 years have you falsely arrested? Have you falsely accused? Have you falsely denied entry? So on and so forth. And think how quickly you'll get that data. Well, some places you get arrested, but. <laughs> so now again, to point at machine learning and saying it's developing this black box. No, it's just making the black box more efficient. It's just giving the black box an actual form in itself, articulating a process that already exists. And the consequence of that, I think, is, is the uncomfortable part. That if we actually take the mathematics out of the equation, we are back again left with this human relation. What is it about us? That, you know, in my research, you know, I, I deal a lot with the genealogy of mathematics and the genealogy of data. We've been at this a long time. What is it about us that makes us want to to desire to discretize and category the other categorize the other and then assign a value to that other 
what is it about us? What does it give us in some senses? And of course that varies by individual and it varies by opinion. But until we solve that relationship, then whether it's machine learning or the next iteration of technology, it will just continue to replicate itself. And I, I you know, one, one thing I would urge in this provocation is thinking about disrupting the digital space right now. You know, Facebook didn't exist. You know, you know, this imaginary speculative framework. Facebook doesn't exist. Google doesn't exist. Machine learning doesn't exist. Artificial intelligence doesn't exist. And then we end up back actually 17th, 18th century, even to early 19th century. And at that point, it was statistics. Same process. Aggregate data on a population, put that data into tables, make a preemption and what that data might mean, make different correlations, and then come up with a political or social economic strategy to deal with that data. This has been around for a long, long time, and maybe the next iteration of technologies will exacerbate it any, even further. That sounds like a, you know, a quite a grim story, right? <laughs> and I think I think this is why I'm really an advocate for, in a way, as Gilbert uh, Simondon says, French philosopher says, you know, setting the technical object free. In a way, this is why I advocate for setting it free. You know, when we think of something like the Prussian Empire and Gottfried Leibniz and coming up with mathematical equations and solutions, allowing them to aggregate data on their populations, creating the first black box where you could correlate the number of males to your militarized, to your military power. And then you could correlate farmland because you have to feed those soldiers. <laughs> But then you need to keep track of those soldiers. So then you have to correlate that to a central number. You see, it's, it's an endless cycle of correlations. And when you think about that, this type of historical type of context, and then thinking about how politics intervene in themselves. So if I want to expand, if I don't want to expand my territory, then that data becomes useful in other senses, right? So then I can survey grain, I can survey birth rates, so on and so forth for other means. It's only when I assign value to it and I say, actually, I need to protect my territory or I need to expand my territory. Thus, is it necessary for me to understand how many males or how much grain I have. Other than that, it's just useless. Now we put machine learning in that now, and it goes back to this idea of even accountability. But when we think before, you know, the pliability of the average citizen being able to go to the, you know, to the Prussian Empire and say, show me your statistical tables, show me your formula, show me how you're calculating this. So I can create a counter strategy. I mean, we know the end of what that story would be. But right now we're dealing with a technology that is accessible to a lot of people. It's accessible. It's math. I mean, not everyone's good at it. <laughs> right? 
but it's not that it's not like the NSA came up with a new math. <laughs> it's the same math that we all hate in the primary school and secondary school. It's just some people stuck with it. And now thinking about if that same type of math was actually if the person again 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 this goes back to what I was saying about the pathological. It in a way it neutralizes the possibility to disrupt it because then you're just dealing with math like a you know reality show competition of math right of course there are entities that have more power they have more capital they have more influence to initiate their tools faster to disrupt that process but it by no means does the average citizen not have the same capabilities to operate within the same ecosystem of machine learning most of the days we know those as hackers but you could already see the pathological sense right we create this normality so somehow the facebook engineering team are normal and then the hackers are these anarchists trying to break the system and of course it's understandable cuz you don't want these you know you don't want these people taking your credit card number but then that has to reinforce the fact that you're participating in credit you see it's, <laughs> it's a weird relationship right but when we look at the community we we see actually the pliability that it actually can work if we invest ourselves it can actually work in a different type of way but it requires us to neutralize the framework and not assign value not right now eventually it has to be assigned we're human we will assign it but maybe the immediate step is not to assign it maybe the immediate step is really learning what this relationship means particularly excited about right now um are actually um general adversarial neural networks they're sort of gans is what they're called and it's a sophisticated type of technology um that makes use of machine learning is quite complicated because all these terms basically you know machine learning is not artificial intelligence it's not pattern recognition it's not um you know neural networks they sort of have different types of architectures even though they're all sort of self-learning technologies but these these scans these neural networks because of the way that they're designed to sort of self-reinforce um they point in a different direction so when you're looking at the development of a gan it's not so much in interpreting what it already knows as opposed to letting it free to make its new forms of relation and i, I know it's it's quite difficult technically you know how this is done and they're not very viable because right now they take too much computational power they're very expensive they take a long time to render but there's a lot of potential because it doesn't think well i can't even use the word think right it doesn't see how you fall into the trap quite easily <laughs> it doesn't function linearly it doesn't see objects within our world in a linear type of causality so that that we tend to see linear causality so we when we pick up an apple what i mean by that is when we pick up an apple 
even if we don't recognize a causality, we understand a causality. This came from a tree. <laughs> and this tree came from here. Blah, blah, blah. And then the multitude of steps in between. These GANs don't understand that. And they're not programmed to care. They're programmed to think about the process, different types of relationships. And then what, what ends up being produced is a sort of nonlinear not necessarily associations, but new articulations of something. New forms of environments, new forms of aesthetics, new forms of language. And sometimes those languages, actually with most neural networks, you know, those, those types of, the process it goes through isn't even comprehensible by most humans. The mathematics are so complex that actually you can't reverse engineer it and say, this is why it chose that. It's just choosing it. It's just creating it. I don't like this language. Language is not sufficient. Here's a new language. <laughs> and imagine the possibilities of that. You being able to stop, you know, you're in a, even in the judicial system, you know, you can deploy this. You're in front of judicial body. You can't explain your situation. You can't explain because most of the time, you know, even our legal structures depend on some type of causality, you know, which is where we get, you know, this type of reasonable doubt in these relations. So, you know, you know, my history of abuse may have led to this and may have led to that. And that's why this certain action was proposed in a way as a type of linearity. But what would happen in front of the judge if you said actually that my history of abuse and that train that I took at 3.30? I mean, it was like, what, get out of my courtroom? What are, you, what are you talking about? But in a way, the potential of the GAN is, of course, silly, you know, silly examples. But the potential of the GAN is it breaks what we think about space and time because it breaks that type of linearity and it's a nonlinear system. And the reason why I like where the GANs are going right now, I mean, they're not deployed enough. They eventually, you know, might replicate the same types of violences, but it gives kind of a first indication of even what Franz Fanon was saying, you know, of what Homi Baba sort of described Franz Fanon's philosophy as this radical humanism. And because it required a complete shift in perspective and perception from everyone involved, when I look at mirroring that on this type of GAN or this type of neural network, it's, it's starting from the basis of shifting what we perceive and what we know. And I don't know what it's going to do yet anymore that, I mean, Fanon didn't live past 36, so maybe that would have been his next book, who knows, where he was going after that. But I think in the current climate we're in, politically, socially, and economically, I mean, I think that it's worth giving it a try to see actually how might it shift all of our perspectives to where actually we, we can no longer even recognize the categories that we thought we knew. What then happens when everything becomes fluid? 
Or what happens when it becomes situational? What happens when your category becomes situational? In many ways it already is, but you know, and I and I think back and I even think about even in the as if article in Eflux, you know, you have this 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 brilliant mind, Joy Balwini, is off to build this machine that can interpret your aspirations, you know, I guess in a way call it your spirit animal. She'd probably disagree with calling it that, but And then, and thinking about actually the ability to project something that is so intimate to you that's already conditioned by all of these things. You see how you can't do a causality. If you became a lion, it's impossible for you to think like, you know, maybe sometimes you could say, okay, as a little person, as a kid, I love lions or whatever. But what if it surprises you? <laughs> and you have to retrospectively think, Wow, actually, I do. This is how I associate with the world as a lion or a gazelle or a zebra or something else. It's nonlinear. And then the progress becomes about the future development because it's impossible to go back and trace all of those elements that may have caused that, that type of articulation. And so a way, in a way, I see, I see traditional frameworks know of machine learning even traditional neural linear neural networks as being focused on the past to predict the future right so i take past training data even real-time training data which is the present and i project something into the future and then i see something like again which you know it's it has some training in the beginning it's not divorced of training but its primary focus is on the future it's interested in what it can create and there have been many scholars who have been thinking through this area to think about actually what if we as human beings were lived within the framework of creation, of investing in our own potential to create, unmitigated by these illusions of austerity or unmitigated by these illusions of category and violence, but actually just generating being in itself. And so when I think about the techno-resistant, I think about it as a pure generation of being in itself. That's why the edicts are quite small, like add value, <laughs> go, until you exhaust yourself and you're happy with it. Rip, 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 rip,